Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I am Heather Burnt, and I've got a very special guest on the show today. Um, I got a copy of a book called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So Linda, would you introduce yourself and tell them what you'd like them to know about you? Right. Well, thank you for having me on the show today, Heather. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Linda Orkesson McGurk, and um, I am uh, originally from Sweden, but I've lived in the States for about 14 years now. And um, I started writing the blog Rain or Shine uh some four years ago uh, as a way to reach out to parents and early childhood educators, uh, grandparents, basically anybody who works with children or um, is around children on a regular basis um, to kind of inspire people to just get outside with uh, their young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, I guess when I had my, my first daughter uh, nine years ago <laughs> is when I realized that, uh, you know, early childhood in the States looked very different from the early childhood that I was used to in Sweden, uh, where I grew up, and that kind of got me thinking about writing a book. So the book has actually been, I mean, it, that's when the first seed sort of was sown, and, and I've just been working on it like in my head for years, and then finally a few years ago, I was able to... Um, I actually get a book contract, and I went back to Sweden to see if if early childhood was still the way it used to be, or if it was just a romanticized <laughs> memory. You know, yes. I think we all tend to romanticize our own childhoods a little bit. So I wanted mm-hmm. to go back and see, you know, is this still how it is over there? Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, not to spoil the the <laughs> contents of the book, yeah. but. Yeah, very much so. It is a, a different, very different experience over there, and, and I wanted to share that with um, with Americans. So, yeah, that's yeah. the basic premise of the book. Yeah, thank you. So I, I wanted to have a chance to talk with you about this because it did strike a chord for me um, mm-hmm. as I was looking at the book. I, um, I'm kind of the opposite of what a lot of the other early childhood folks I've worked with are like, I hate mm-hmm. summertime. I hate to go out yeah. when it's hot, and I love wintertime. And yeah. um, I moved, I, I'm, in, I'm in Indiana now, I moved here just from Nebraska, um, and it's been almost 20 years now, but it, the winters are very different. I don't think people uh, realize 
the the difference sometimes, but I I never I never get enough winter now that I live in Indiana. <laughs> Even when there, you know, a few years ago we had a super severe winter, and there were a couple of days we were trapped in our house with you know twenty inches yeah. of snow or something like that, and that was, <laughs> that was winter. But um, uh, people are sick to death of hearing me. Um, whine about it and when when we first moved here the year my son was was in first grade there were two days that I sent him out to the bus stop and neighbors would call me and say there's no school today and I'd look (laughs) out the window and be like why is there no school there's like three inches of snow out there Um, in fact I think my my husband called uh, the school the first time and asked why and they said well there's a lot of rural roads and we were yeah. like have you been to Nebraska it's entirely rural <laughs> so I get a little yeah. obnoxious about it but um, uh-huh. so, so the quote, yeah I, I had yeah I had this I had the same yeah. experience many many times and eventually I just kind of quit fighting it I realized yeah. you know I wasn't going to change that so yeah. I just kind of roll with it now and when they have um, snowed, what they call snow days uh-huh. when everything closes. I just, you know, I call it a day. I just take it a, the opportunity to take the kids outside and, and play <laughs> and play, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, mm-hmm. I've, I've picked um, one quote to kind of start our conversation from the book. And so that is um, from page 11. But more than anything, Scandinavians get through the winter mm-hmm. by maintaining a sense of normalcy. Um, right. And, and I think, you know, that's what I see is people who are working with young children now make it a bigger deal than it really mm-hmm. needs to be. Yes. When we're talking right. about going up. even now, it hasn't been really below 40 yet here. And we're already uh-huh. having the conversations in the classrooms that I'm with about yep. whether it's too cold to go out or not. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, a, a big problem is I think, uh, the, the attitude is, that's kind of what starts it all. I mean, uh-huh. what we do in, in Scandinavia is we kind of reframe it. Like, even if it is, um, you know, if the, the weather is not ideal, which is usually the case in Scandinavia, <laughs> you know, that's like, that is normal to us. Uh-huh. Like, you can't expect good weather. So, I mean, what's the alternative? Hibernating? Like, mm-hmm. and that's not real. People really don't see that as a, as a good option because yeah. being outside is just, it's so good for you. And especially right. for kids, like they really um, need that. And it's, we think it's important to establish uh-huh. that habit early on that, you know, you just, you go outside, you get fresh air every day. Um, and uh, that's just part of our lifestyle. Uh-huh. So I think what, what, what I'm seeing here is more, um, there's just not that commitment. Um, uh-huh. And that really threw me off in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So uh, and because uh, there's not that expectation that the kids are, will go outside, for example, at school or at preschool, they are not dressed for it. I mean, right. you can argue what's the chicken and what's the egg in that situation because <laughs> yeah. the school will say, well, the kids show up without jackets. And then, mm-hmm. well, the parents probably, they don't expect them to go outside anyway, so they don't, you know, they don't bother. Right. But, um, you know, being pro- properly dressed of course you know that's a requirement if you want if if you're going to send the kids out in the cold yeah they need to be wearing appropriate clothes so um so yeah the book is is called there's no such thing as bad weather and that's the beginning of a uh sort of a proverb sort of a 
yes uh, and the end is just bad clothing or something like that yes yeah 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 there's no such thing as bad weather only bad clothes um so you just dress for the weather and dress for the elements and And get out there that's what i see a lot of times in child care programs even if the children do have um you know the 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 clothing that's going to keep them warm and dry the teachers the adults don't always and Mm -hmm. so they're cold and they project that onto the children and the children are yeah (laughs) exactly it is equally important to be well dressed yourself uh I, I'm, I'm not like you. I actually don't love winter. Like I, I love snow sports. I do. Uh-huh. But in Indiana where there's winter, but usually no snow, um, uh-huh. and not, you know, no, obviously no downhill <laughs> skiing or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get cold really easily. So I have to like really just dress in, in thick layers. And in the winter, if I'm outside with the kids, uh-huh. which I often am, um, I'm, I'm in snow pants, like <laughs> all the time. And, uh, I, it's just really important to, to be comfortable because otherwise you're not going to enjoy it. And you'll, like you said, you'll pro- project that onto the kids yeah. and then, yeah. Yeah. So, so and well, and I'm a knitter, so I always mm-hmm. have tons of warm wool stuff everywhere. Oh and yeah. Socks and a hundred different scarves. And so it's a little bit easier for people <laughs> in my house to find that kind of stuff. Um, right. I, I don't even really, yeah. this is sort of an aside, I don't even really like to turn the furnace on until I absolutely <laughs> have to. So my daughter is in Bloomington, Indiana now. Um, uh-huh. and she texted me the other day that um, her roommate was already wanting to turn the air con- or the furnace on and she was like, oh no, we're going to open windows and put on wool socks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, we're cold weather yeah. folks. But, um, right. So there's, there's kind of uh, two main points mm-hmm. in uh, sort of in the argument to get children outside more often that I wanted to, to unpack a little bit. And the mm-hmm. first is just the health benefit. And you right. touched on that a minute ago. And I think our, our thinking in the States so often is um, if we take them outside when it's cold, they'll get sick. Yes. And, and you talk about that in the book. And yeah. Why that's not the case. Right. Yeah. Nothing could be more wrong. <laughs> like, really. It's, I mean, it's staying inside that makes uh-huh. us sick. Because when we're inside, especially in a daycare or preschool setting, you have all these little kids, mm-hmm. you know, in a small space, confined. Um, that is like a, a Petri dish, like somebody said, you know. <laughs> it's so gross it's to think virtu- about it in that way, but you're yeah. right. Yeah. And they're all swimming around in it in there. So basically, that I mean, that's one big reason why preschools in Sweden insist on getting the kids outside for hours per every day is because it, it reduces the risk of infection. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get them out there, there's, you know, more distance between the kids. They're not all, like, on there touching the same toys. You just – it just – it makes – it makes really good sense from like a germ management standpoint. And, and really it's not the cold, it's not the cold weather that makes us sick. It is the viruses and the, and the bacteria. Yeah. So, um, you know, going outside is just good, good policy right. from a health <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> when I, I was at, um, in a, in a previous job when I was sort of a mentor that went out and visited childcare centers, 
I was Mm -hmm. in a, it was like a staff break room and, um, I was getting ready to do a training, but the staff were just kind of talking to each other and I was setting up and they were talking about, um, how they'd gotten caught in the rain outside that day. Like they'd been Mm -hmm. on the playground and it started to, to sprinkle and they couldn't get in soon enough. And they hoped nobody was getting sick from that and oh. I I just kind of turned and said well unless it was raining germs and bacteria and viruses I think we're okay and they right, just looked at right. me like what does that even mean <laughs> like, it's not the water yes. that's getting us sick it's the germs <laughs> and stuff yeah so yeah. What, I, what I found really interesting that I hadn't thought a lot about when I was reading the book mm. um, in the area of health was the discussion of mm. what a lot of medical folks are thinking about allergies now right. and the rise in allergies and asthma in young children and the connection to mm-hmm. less time spent outside. Right, right. I mean, there are any there are actually there have been several studies coming out just in the past few years that tend to uh, support that the hygiene hypothesis, which basically holds that um, you know as we uh, we've, we've gotten a lot cleaner in the past. Uh, you know, a few decades, um, and uh, that you know has come at a price. I mean, obviously, sanitation and and uh, clean water and all that—that's all been that's been good. But uh, we've we've come we've become a little too clean. So all this, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Clorox and the hand sanitizers and the you know obsessive obsessive cleanliness basically uh-huh. um, it get rid of all the good bacteria as well and we need that good bacteria for um, our immune system to to stay alert and to because if we remove all the bacteria then there's nothing for the immune system to do so basically in, the immune system gets bored and it starts uh-huh creating threats where there are none. <laughs> so yeah. that's where we're getting all the, the allergies and stuff. So basically, um, so now researchers are, are starting to, to tell people that, you know, it, it is actually good for kids to, to get dirty and, and, um, and to, to dig in the dirt and it's okay. Even if they stick some of it in their mouths, it's like, <laughs> it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's actually beneficial. There are, there are good bacteria in in the dirt that can actually, um, yeah. There, there's there's one bacteria, for example, that can even improve our moods. It's got you know it, it it's got the potential to to increase uh, serotonin production in the brain, which uh, makes us more uh, focused and, and and happy. And so it's it's really quite amazing. Uh, we're only starting to beginning to understand um, all the the impact that our gut bacteria uh, actually have on, on our health. It's pretty, pretty fascinating actually. I, that's, I think that might be the hardest sell in the book. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me, but so I was looking for Uh another quote while you were, while you were talking because there was Uh one that, um, so it's on page 157 of the book, but it says if being too far removed from nature is the main reason for the epidemic. And that's talking about like the allergies and, um, right. One easy way to support children's health and strengthen their immune immune system could simply be to let them play outside as much as possible and not panic if they sample a clump of dirt <laughs> or lick an earthworm. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. That yep. would be hard to not panic yep. I know. if they're the... licking an earthworm. But I, I think that's really interesting and, and yeah. such an easy way. So I, and I've heard, you know, yeah, I think you, you probably are familiar with how often we have to wash our hands in childcare programs mm-hmm. here and how often we have to use bleach on tables and yes. ever, on all the toys and stuff. And I have had yeah. people tell me that that's not the case in European programs a lot of times. No, not at all. I mean, Clorox is basically banned in Sweden because it's considered so harmful to the environment. And what it does is that it, like I said, it it kills all the bacteria, even the good ones. Uh And um, it, I mean, the problem of, um, uh, you know, it's it's also causing these um, uh, bacteria that are resistant to, um, uh, penicillin and so forth, the resistant bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that's a real threat today. I mean, there are people who are dying because they, because of these bacteria, the, these super bacteria that, um, that uh, are resistant to, to antibiotics. So uh, same with, same, same with these um, like antibacterial hand soaps and all that. Um, A lot of them contain triclosan. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but uh, which is a known, you know, hormone disruptor. Like I hate the thought of my kids putting that on their hands every day. It's Uh so it's really, you know, good, good old soap and water without the antibacterial stuff is that's the way to go. And um, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like that message has quite gotten out there yet. The research community is very, very familiar with it. But yeah. in daily life, it's still people still think to they still tend to associate like antibacterial as something with something positive. Right. As it's, you know, um, it's so killing the bacteria. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I and I think there's. We're, we're we're ingraining it in the children too. Then in these programs that they're in, mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking right. I mean, just this week there was so I work with two year olds right now, and um, there was a little boy who was scolding another little girl for putting a toy in her mouth, and um, um, you know it wasn't a choking hazard or anything. It just it was a big toy, but she was licking it or whatever. She's two. And yeah. the little boy like pulled it out of her hand and stomped to the trash can, muttering about how gross <laughs> it was, and threw the toy in the trash. Oh no! Oh my god, he's two, and we've taught him already yeah. that you know all germs right. are bad or whatever. And um, yeah, so yeah. that's I think that's an uphill battle if we want yes. to try and change that. The other thing is that regulations. Are, I mean, part of the reason that we're doing those things in in our programs for children is because. Mm the state regulation says we mm-hmm. have to and those things are not always based on research and best practice they're based I know. on opinion and um, and, uh, and fear of lit- litigation yes. surely yeah, yeah. The fear <laughs> that of is litigation. a yeah i find regulations very frustrating um here um with not just things like that, but also, for example, when it comes to forest schools, which is basically outdoor preschools, I know in in several states the regulations pretty much make it impossible uh, because the the regulations are so specific as far as which 
toys, which out types, which types of outdoor toys that the kids are allowed to have, and the height and the everything. And when you're out in nature, you know, nature just does not uh, uh, care about <laughs> whether <laughs> kids are not allowed to climb. Uh-huh. higher than than 12 inches or whatever the yeah, height the you know maximum height is yeah uh, nature is just that's natural you know yeah. so so that's making it very difficult i think we we have kind of an uphill battle there but I, we're seeing some states um kind of taking a, a they're more in the vanguard of, of this uh outdoor learning than others and we're seeing out in pacific in the pacific northwest uh, I think uh, Oregon and Washington State, we're seeing uh, them. I think it was Oregon that launched uh, a pilot program for all-day outdoor preschools uh, just recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, that's really crucial. Hopefully, they will pave the way and other states will be able to look at that and and see that, hey, it's okay to have young kids out in nature. You know, yeah. it's actually perfectly – That's that's how we evolved for, you know, right. hundreds <laughs> and thousands from. of years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. Yeah, and so. that sort of takes us. So I lied when I said there were two areas. There's actually three. So health was one. That kind of mm-hmm. takes us into the next one, which is that the learning opportunities are just better sometimes, many times yes. out in yeah. nature than in, uh, you know, a little prescribed classroom or um, right. one room of a home or something like that. Yeah, well, for one, when you're outside, kids are able to use all their senses. It's more, it's a more sensory-rich environment mm-hmm. uh, in nature. And also, the kids have just more, they have more space to to uh, run around, and uh, they tend to play more imagine- imaginatively, uh-huh. <laughs> stumbling. Right. Um, and, um, and as you probably, I'm sure you know, as an early childhood educator, play is a child's work. I mean, that's how they learn. Right. And um, you know, there are just so many opportunities for uh, role-playing games and and uh, and things like that outside. Um, they all they're also more. They tend to, uh, you know, get into problem solving and you know critical thinking skills. Uh, something that's also, uh, I mean, nature is is perfectly mm-hmm. you know a perfect environment for that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of really like essential skills, the kind of skills that pave the way for academic learning later on, even motor skills. We know now that having good motor skills is essential to learning your ABCs later. It's something that you might not think about, but it really is. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw, and all, oh, I saw no, a post um, on somebody else's Facebook page the other day that was like, um, it was a link to a Pinterest uh, mm-hmm. pin about top 10 hand strengthening activities for pre-writing or something. Mm-hmm. And they were all, you know, the stuff you'd expect inside playing with Play-Doh, that kind of stuff. But I, I commented, you, you know, what else is a great hand strengthening activity? Climbing a tree <laughs> or, <laughs> or yes. you know, holding sticks and manipulating yes. things outside. And um, yes, absolutely. And this is where I think that, Sometimes in the U.S., I feel like we 
overcomplicate early childhood. <laughs> I feel like there is, like you said, all these, if you go on Pinterest and just, you know, type in learning activities for three-year-olds uh-huh. or whatever, and, you know, you get a gazillion, gazillion, you know, paper plate crafts and, and yes. uh, tracing activities and, and whatnot. And really, uh, I just, coming from my background, it's just so foreign to me. It just feels like, like I said, overcomplicating things. Like nature really has, um, you know, all the things that, that you need to, to know in, in early childhood um, and like I said earlier, just so many opportunities for gross motor skills to grow and fine motor skills too. So I, I just, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that just, when yeah. you said something about overcomplicating early childhood, it reminded me, I think mm-hmm. in the book you talk, you talk about the Swedish national curriculum for early childhood. Mm-hmm. Is that something that sounds right to you? And it's yes. only not very many pages. Like yeah, it's like pages or something yeah. like that. And yeah. um, we have no single document. You know, every state has its own document. And yes, um, Indiana's right. used to be over 100 pages. And I think they mm-hmm. just got it down to 60 or something like that. Yeah. For the early childhood document. But, um, right. you know, it does. We make our jobs harder when we stay inside mm-hmm. so often because yeah. outside they don't need as much from us. Right, um, right. And they still are yeah. getting that rich experience and still learning and getting that practice um, without mm-hmm. us having to have the paper plates all prepared and all the material right, right. candy. And, yes. Um, oh, my yes. God. Did I forget to put paint on my supply request? <laughs> yep. And also, I think, I mean, a, a huge difference is the, the focus on academics, of course, mm-hmm. in, in early childhood here in the States. That was another thing that really surprised me when my when my oldest daughter started preschool, and that was supposed to be, I mean, that was a play-based preschool. I mean, so compared to others that I've also visited, um, it was, you know, they got to do all kinds of experiments and, and fun things like yeah. that. Nothing, you know, nothing that, nothing harmful or, you know, but there there was yeah. also the tracing of letters and, mm-hmm. and you know, learning to, to write your name and which some of them were ready for, others were Clearly not, I yeah. think. Um, but there are also other examples that I've seen where you have three, three and four year olds mostly sitting at desks, um, uh, you know, most of the day and and reciting mm. uh, readings. And by 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 the time they're four, yeah, you, you know, you you see the Facebook posts where they you have them where, where they're actually reading uh-huh. uh, some some things, but. You know, to me, it's just, I, I just don't know why we're forcing it so early because eventually those other kids uh, catch up, the ones who learn later. And studies have shown that there's no significant difference um, by the time they're 11. And in fact, those who learn later are showing a greater joy. Okay, so the last thing that I wanted to, to hear you speak to um, is the environmental value of letting children be outside early and nurturing that love of nature. Um, in the States, that's sort of a politicized issue now. We've we've got folks who will automatically have a negative response if we start talking about raising children to love the environment. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really It is, yeah, it but... is. But so, to, so tell me, tell me what your thoughts are about 
that connection and that value. Right. So I, I would dare to say in Scandinavia, that's not a political issue at all because uh, most people are like really in agreement that, you know, if we don't protect the environment, then we don't really have a future as a species. So it's like <laughs> self, so, I mean, it's common sense. It's self-preservation, right? Uh, if you put it that so, way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Getting kids to appreciate nature, learn about nature, uh, how it all works, and how they fit in to the ecosystem is just viewed as essential um, to childhood and and, uh, also seen as one of the most important, I think, uh, tasks for early childhood educators. And it is also in the national curriculum. It talks at length about uh, raising or foster this sort of um, foster this understanding for nature and uh, also this desire to protect nature. Mm-hmm. And I think, I really think the only way to do that is to get them out into nature and um, uh, actually experiencing it and learning uh, learning about it. Because if, if they don't have that early sort of emotional attachment to it, then it will be very difficult later on to, um, you know, to, to sort of develop that sense of mm-hmm. uh, responsibility uh, or stewardship for uh, the environment. A weekly theme about recycling once a year. Yes, yeah, not going to do not, it. It's not going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. needs to be part of the daily routine. Um, uh, you know, so for example, by having like a compost bin where all the food scraps go and, uh, you know, constantly just talking about the environment, where the trash goes, where our trash goes and, and where, uh, what we can do to conserve energy and, and, and things like that. Talk about where our food comes from, like, and how, how did it get here? And, um, you know, why, why it's, maybe better to try and source food uh, closer and, and, you know, it, what is emissions and, and those types of questions. So, yeah. So it just, they just grow up with that as being a natural thing. Exactly. It's just part of their life. And that emotional connection I think is, is, is something I'm glad you mentioned. I, uh, there's been a couple episodes that I've done with folks where we just sort of are reminiscing about the way we played as children to try and connect that to the work we're doing now. And it's overwhelmingly outdoor memories. Yes. And and being in nature and doing things outdoors whenever we have that conversation. Yep, that is that is my experience too. Um, and I but I do think that the early childhood educators really have an important role to play there as well. Um, just by sort of sharing in the discoveries uh, outside and and getting the kids excited about um, nature. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap up because we've 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 hit everything and we're getting on to about um, a half an hour of of talking about this. Um, usually, at the end of the podcast, I will say if there you know is there one recommendation you'd make or one piece of advice you'd give. But you do that in your book at the end of each chapter. You've got like really or in within each chapter there are really practical yes next steps yeah. for each of those topics but is there one overwhelming kind of over overarching yeah I think, the overarch, I think the overarching advice that i would give is to uh to make it 
uh, outdoor time a priority. I think that we tend to, a lot of people tend to overlook outdoor play as, you know, something that, you know, you might just do if there's time or, but I, I, I would really encourage people to make it a priority because it is really important. And even if the weather's yucky and, you know, just start with 15 minutes if, mm-hmm. and see how it goes. Um, it's better to get out for just a little bit than not get out at all. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time you'll find that um, the kids will actually want to stay out longer. So Yeah, usually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to make it part of your daily routine and then – when they grow up like that, because I know, I know myself and a lot of my friends in Sweden, like we grew up like that with that routine of we always go outside every day. And uh, that's something that to this day is something that we now do with our kids. We pass it on. We have it. It's, it's just in our blood. It's in our yeah. fabric. So yeah. I really recommend that. And go out and, and enjoy nature and um, share it with your children be out there with them. I think that's a like let them yeah. see you enjoying it too is a big piece yes. of it. Yeah. So, Absolutely. okay, the the book again is called There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. Um thank you so much for joining us. If the, if they wanted to find more about you, you've got the blog Rain or Shine Mama, you mentioned that. Yep, and that's mama with two m's. Okay, I'm glad that I asked. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a, a fruitless Google search. <laughs> and the book can be is it's it's out now right it's yes and it's available at um you know some some bookstores and also on amazon in the u.s and canada and uh, uh europe as well okay all right well i read it i loved it thank you <laughs> awesome. i've got some new material for ranting about what we should be doing with children and i always appreciate that <laughs> uh, and I appreciate you taking time to talk with me, Linda. It was nice to talk with you. All right. All thank right. you. Uh-huh. And you guys have a good uh, rest of your week and come back and listen to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. Thanks.